Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a sage publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. To set the stage for today's discussion, while cloud computing has become a great digitization enabler to enterprises, multiple clouds, especially when they have to intersect with on-premise systems and one another, can produce some challenges. Many organizations can end up with an identity gridlock of competing identity systems and protocols since each cloud platform cannot exchange access policy data with other cloud providers. It's a real pleasure to have Jerry Gable, Head of Standards at Strata Identity, to discuss the significance of standardizing identity management. The driving question being, how do you streamline and improve security by standardizing identity management. Jerry, welcome. Dave, thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. Fantastic. So Jerry, uh, before we dive into the details, and I know we have a lot to talk about, please share with listeners some of your professional journey highlights. All right. Well, it, it's been quite a long journey, but since we are talking about standards today, I think that's one of the common threads through a lot of my experience over time. As you mentioned, I'm a head of standards at Strata Identity right now, where we're bringing a new uh, standard to the industry for policy orchestration. That is, how can we make access policies more interoperable? We call that IDQL, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, before joining uh, Strata a couple of years ago, I worked for another software vendor called Axiomatics. Uh, they're based in Sweden, and their product solutions were centered around fine grain access. You know, how can we set policies and determine access for various kinds of resources? And there, we implemented a an industry standard called XACML, the Extensible Access Control Markup Language. It's an Oasis standard. And before switching to the vendor side, I worked at Burton Group, which is um, was you know an analysis and research firm. And so I was running their identity management research practice and wrote about things like single sign-on and federation standards. And we even hosted a number of interoperability demonstrations at our annual conference. So we worked a lot with some of the standards we're going to talk about today as well. And then before that, I was actually on the enterprise side. So I worked uh, at a couple banks, most recently Chase Manhattan Bank, which is now JPMorgan Chase. And I worked on a, a number of different platforms, uh, mostly around security for mainframes, middleware, 
and then web software as you know as the web emerged. And while there, we were members of the Open Software Foundation. So I guess standards were a common thread throughout my career arc, if you will. Fantastic. So I'm delighted that uh, you could join us and uh, looking forward to the discussion. So let's begin by making the connection between standards and identity and access management. For the benefit of those listeners who are not very familiar with identity and access management, it is a security governance approach that focuses on ensuring that the right people or machines have access to the right assets at the right time for the right reasons, while keeping unauthorized access and fraud at bay. So, Jerry, what is the role of standards in identity and access management? If you could please expand. Yeah, sure can. Maybe we can think about examples uh, that we all have from our daily lives, right? We all interact with identity systems all the time, whether we realize that or not. So, for example, any website that you go to that might ask you for a login, well, you're interfacing with an identity system because it needs to know who you are. And following that, it then it can determine what access you should have. You know, you won't be asked for a login at every website because there's lots of publicly available content. But for example, if you're subscribing to the Wall Street Journal or some other publication, well, you're you're paying for that subscription. And most likely you will have some kind of credential to log in to view that content. Now, standards allow for interoperability uh, between domains that are run by different organizations. And this can provide you as a user a lot of convenience. So for example, when you see that login prompt at the Wall Street Journal site, you could also see options besides putting in an ID and a password, you could see options like sign in with Google or sign in with Apple. In this way, it's convenient because you just log in with your Apple ID or your Google ID. You don't have to have a separate ID for Wall Street Journal and every other website that you go to. And how does this work? Well, behind the scenes, identity standards enable this interoperability, for example, between Apple and between the Wall Street Journal site. Does that all make sense, Dave? That is so helpful. Exactly what I was looking for that it offers a, a seamless experience for the users where once they have signed on with their credentials and that could very well be from Google or from Apple, then they are able to traverse through the website, move on to uh, related sources without having to re-enter their credentials. So that is very helpful. So the work of the standards is taking place behind the scenes to make it feasible for seamless access. In other words, make it convenient for the navigator, for the user to access different sources, different sites, let's say. That's correct. And if you think about, you know, a few years ago, five years ago, before some of these standards were prevalent, we would have had two, two less than ideal scenarios. One is we would be using the same password at multiple sites, which is certainly viewed as a bad security practice. Or you would have had to have managed 
an individual password for every site that you had to log into. So yeah, both both are undesirable. And you know, the, so the standards make hopefully the security better as well as the usability better for all of us. True, very true. So Jerry, in a Forbes article, you mentioned how organizations can end up with an identity gridlock of competing identity systems and protocols. I really enjoyed the read, and I'd love my listeners to learn more about identity gridlock and how to avoid such gridlocks. Yes, well, I think um, it it goes back to your introductory comments. You know that we are in a multi-cloud world. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's there's certainly the big three major cloud providers. You know, from Google, from Microsoft, and from Amazon Web Services. But there's a whole second tier of cloud platforms. And what we find when we're talking to enterprise customers is that very few have consolidated to use, for example, one cloud system. So what does that mean? Well, that means I have you know different business units with different requirements that may have chosen you know Amazon for this, Microsoft, Azure for that, and so on. And then of course, if I'm making acquisitions of other companies, they may have chosen a different primary well, cloud platform than the one that you know the acquiring company chose. So what does that mean? Well, each of these platforms have their own way to define and configure access to resources. That's where the gridlock comes in because they're not interchangeable. They are not interoperable. And it's compounded when you think about the different layers of a typical application stack, if you will. You know, there's network access. What is the micro segmentation of that? What is the firewall configuration and so on? You have a data layer, you know, you have databases, data lakes, and so on. Those systems have a very different technology and access policy format. Of course, you have all of the infrastructure, you know, your Kubernetes, your cloud, I'm sorry, your compute capabilities and so on. And then you have the applications above that, you know, the that's most visible to us as a user, you know, the websites and so on. So it's a matrix of different formats and limited reach of standards across that that domain that I just described. So that's what leads to this gridlock. And how do you know administrators and security officers deal with that today? Well, there's, you know, there's a number of point solutions that they use to manage it. But it also results in, of course, a lot of complexity. You can imagine the complexity of what I just described. There's a, an extra cost to manage all this. You have to pay for the, the tooling and the subject matter expertise to manage those environments. And then, of course, there's the risk. You know, we always hear the frequent stories about breaches, advanced persistent threats or misconfigurations or what have you. So there's a risk of uh, all of this complexity to your security. And so this is why we brought forward the IDQL standard it, as it's meant to be a neutral format uh, to define your access policy in a declarative way that can be then translated into these different runtimes. So you have at least some common thread of you know, how you define a policy versus how it gets enforced in the runtime system. Very interesting. Thanks for that illuminating explanation. So when I think about standards, it brings to mind the computing standards or non-standards that we've had over the years, whereby if you were 
using Microsoft products, it wasn't very easy to use Apple products and vice versa. And it kind of made sense for the software developers, providers to keep it that way. They want the customers to gravitate to their ecosystem. So whenever I thought of standards, I wondered, are these really standards because we now we, we operate in one particular silo or we operate it in another silo. And as long as we are within that ecosystem, we are fine. But the moment we want to connect to the other ecosystem, we run into a challenge. I guess what I'm getting at it is, are standards in the best interests of the solutions providers? Because otherwise, from the get-go, users should have had seamless access to all types of systems, irrespective of who the providers are. That's kind of been in my mind that, yeah, we talk about standards, but are we really committed to developing standards which make access seamless? I don't know if this is a stupid question or an informed question, but I had to share it with you anyways. No, I think it is certainly a valid question when you're thinking about the competing interests of developing an industry standard. And you're absolutely right, though. There is this incentive, you know, from a competitive standpoint to maintain your walled garden so that you can maintain your customer base and so on. But over the history of industry standard development, there's always has to be a compromise. And what can happen, for example, is you have debates, but uh, at some point you need to drive to a consensus and realize that you're not standardizing the whole offering, you're standardizing different pieces that have maybe become a commodity. And so the real value to your customer base is not within that function, but you know further upstream or further downstream. So it can be challenging. And you know history is replete with various war stories over that. But it really comes down to when you also have your, the customers involved in the process, they can help drive to a solution because they're the ones that ultimately will or will not purchase products from these vendors. You know, if, if there's lock-in or there's lack of interoperability, where from the customer perspective, that's really a driving factor. So I think, yeah, that's a concern. It's a challenge, but it's really the nature of the beast for sure. Okay, that makes sense. So um, going back to that article, of yours. You made a very poignant statement. You said zero trust, least privilege, and just-in-time access are all solid strategies and approaches to creating a secure environment that can be greatly enabled by a philosophy of fine-grained access control. I really liked this word fine-grained access control. And I would want you to share what that means with the users, with our listeners. But I also want you to connect fine-grained access control and the role of standards to achieve that kind of control. Okay. Well, I think in this case, uh, fine-grained access is most closely related to least privilege. When you think about least privilege, what does that mean? Well, you have only the exact access to different resources or databases or APIs that you are supposed to have 
for the execution of your job responsibilities. So fine-grained access is a way to match those two things. It, you know, otherwise, if you think about, uh, I like to use an office building or maybe shopping mall as an example. You know, a shopping mall is a pretty public place. I can just walk in. There's no guard at the door per se. There's no badge reader. You know, I can just walk in. I can go to any department in the big department stores. I can go into any of the smaller stores. But there's still employee-only spaces for stocking or for back office and so on. And then if you think about an, a corporate office, there you typically ha have an ID badge and you go through some kind of badge reader to get to the uh, elevator bank or to your office area. And that's a core screen access, right? I can just get in the front door. But least privilege or fine grain access comes in, well, well, where can I go in the building? Well, sure, the cafeteria should be open to everyone. But maybe there's a computer room if you still have that, if you're not all cloud-based. Uh, or you maybe have a laboratory or some kind of clean room. Or you might be connected to a factory floor. Well, they're going to be accessed only by the people that should be there because that's part of their job. Okay, that's, again, least privilege and fine grain access. And then if you think about um, zero trust, what well, zero trust is all about validating access every time that access is attempted. So that would mean I've got badge readers, you know, at the laboratory or the factory floor, but not in the cafeteria. But I'm going to check that access, you know, every time I try to open that door. So that's where where zero trust comes in. And then as far as standards, well, there are some de facto and de jure standards in the industry for access control. You, when you think about a you know a software access scenario, and it goes back to that walled garden or that silo that you mentioned before. You know, if I'm using an open policy agent based system, sure it's open source and it is very popular. But it doesn't interoperate with like that XACML-based system I described earlier. So there are these isolations of, of um, policy that can be very good, very granular, um, but they don't necessarily interoperate with each other. So I think that, you know, maybe helps to explain those uh, differences a little bit. Absolutely. There are several IAM standards out there. When I say IAM, I'm talking about identity and access management standards, such as AAA, SAML, OIDC, IDQL. So I guess if you're talking about having a common standard, why do we have so many standards? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> sometimes there's good reason for that. Uh -huh. um, sometimes it goes back to those competing interests that we talked about a few moments ago. You know, I especially think back to the, the SAML, SAML uh, timeframe. You know, this was the late 1990s to the early 2000s when th these the standards and others like it were emerging because that's when, you know, websites just were exploding all over the place, right? There were so many of them. So it was an, an attempt to have single sign-on between different security domains. And SAML, SAML was one of the early standards to provide that interoperability. However, there was also... WS Federation. There was the Liberty Alliance uh, version of these protocols. And also in higher ed, there was and still is Shibboleth, right? So there was, what, four different standards, all basically providing the same functionality. But vendors either had the challenge of 
implementing all of them or multiple of them, or they would just do one. And so that's what was going on, you know, in the early days. So even though we had standards, we had multiple duplicative standards, I think mostly driven by competitive interests. These days, OpenID Connect or OIDC is sort of the next generation of those that I just mentioned. You know, it's JSON-based, REST-based, you know, caters to more use cases and scenarios, and its underlying technology, OAuth 2.0, is continually developed today. So there's a lot of energy uh, behind that. So, But at the same time, SAML has been implemented in many places, and it's still an existing uh, standard and also shows you some of the durability of these efforts, right, um, that people work, that worked on SAML in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's still a viable capability that's uh, in use on a broad scale today. So yeah, it can be confusing at times, but there can be reasons for the many duplicative standards sometimes. Exactly. The technology domain is full of these jargons and acronyms. And this is where the rubber hits the road, where you are having to deal with these acronyms. Often, regular folks want to stay away from it. They're on the user side of things. They, they don't want to know anything about standards. But we are doing this episode to enhance awareness. From the standpoint of enhancing awareness, during our planning meeting, uh, you mentioned for the senior leadership, standard setting is an opportunity for enterprises to become more actively involved in influencing the standards building process. Uh, you don't have to leave this task solely to vendors. Those are your words. I'm just curious to know how or why would senior executives want to get involved in something that seems more befitting of the technologists? Why would a CEO of a company, let's say, want to get involved in a standard setting or a standards building process? Can you shed light on that? Absolutely. This is um, a very important topic because, as you mentioned, Typically, the work is done by vendors, software vendors, because the work can be very technical. You're, you're talking about defining a protocol or a schema, and it has to be defined very specifically because multiple parties are going to try to now implement it and gain that inter interoperability that we have talked about. So yeah, it's a very technical, very detailed work. However, it's not just about the technology. You know, what is the business value? What is the purpose of creating these standards? And we've we've sort of alluded to that a couple of times here, but I think that's where the enterprise perspective is very important because, you know, as a programmer, as a developer, we can easily get lost in the weeds of the technology. You know, how do I write this Go routine or how do I write this API? And I think the enterprise perspective keeps the focus on, okay, what's the real business purpose for doing this? Does it enhance security? Does it give us a vendor independence? Does it reduce risk in some way? Or does it enable new business? So I think it's important to have that voice in the conversations. So you may have engineering staff from your team join in. You may not, but at least from a higher level, Having that enterprise business perspective is super important, I think, in the standards development process. And it reminds me, actually, of um, 
when I worked at uh, Chase Bank, my manager at the time and one of my great mentors, he had a great way of justifying our involvement with different standards at the time. And what he would say to his management was, well, look, we can let Bankers Trust or Wells Fargo or whomever, we can let them all define the standards for us, or we could be at the table representing our own interests in uh, guiding you know the standards making process and i think that's really key is um you can be an you know an, an active uh, participant and uh, looking out for your own interests rather than you know delegating that to someone else that has you know who, who's maybe not representing the same point of view it almost seems like setting the rules to play the game you have the option of either being part of the rule setting process so the game can be played fairly and on your terms. Or you can say, I I don't want to be involved in the rule setting process. I just want to play from a standard standpoint. Is that close enough? Or I think that's fair. But but just to even a little bit farther than that, if you're involved in the process, even if you're not that active, at least gives you more visibility into what's happening. So you might be more aware of you know, some pitfalls or potential pitfalls of implementing the standard going forward. Yeah. So you and, and also having more awareness, okay, we've defined the standard on the one hand. Now when I get a product from vendor A or vendor B, I have a better knowledge now of how to even assess, you know, does that product actually implement the standard in a proper way? Okay. So I'd like to circle back to the purpose of this podcast, which is streamlining and improving security by standardizing identity management. And you definitely shed light on the value of standards from the standpoint of identity and access management. But how do we make the connection to streamlining and improving security? I can see the connection with convenience, that it's easy access. Yes, you have security, but you're also making it easier for customers to access different resources. It's almost like a single sign-on capability. Once you've signed in, you have access to different resources. But how is it enhancing security? And how is it streamlining security? You know, I can make an argument that let's say we didn't have standards. And if that meant that every time I was trying to access a different resource which was sitting on a different cloud or a different system, I'd have to enter credentials all over again. It is mighty inconvenient, but it almost feels that it is safer. So is there a a connection between convenience and safety here? Or help me untangle this. Well, there's certainly a connection between convenience and privacy, Uh probably safety slash security as well. So yeah, there are trade-offs there for sure. But I would say from the enterprise administrative perspective, there's um, more capability to properly govern the deployment, the configurations, if you have standards involved, because it, it gives you more visibility of exactly what is connected to what and who has access to what. It gives you better visibility or reporting capability so that you can show, oh, well, I'm compliant with these HIPAA rules or I'm compliant with you know some other financial rules. 
So that's where the standards can be a, a large benefit as well, is in, in the overall governance. And I think that also leads back to what you had uh, said at the outset. You know, we're looking to be able to govern these very complex systems more efficiently and more effectively. Right, right. I think now I, I make a better connection given all the various regulations out there. It is in the company's best interest to comply with these security regulations. Therefore, you want to set the policies correctly, whether it's a policy of access, what types of access that is allowed, that is in compliance with the security regulations and guidelines. I think that's where standard setting becomes a very important endeavor, which could benefit from the attention of the senior leadership. So one of the takeaways from this episode is as much as it might seem that standard setting is the domain of the technologists, but not quite the business folks who are leading organizations need to get their heads into this as well. Like we said earlier, we are trying to define the rules on how we play the game in here, how we access different resources, and make it not only fair, not only convenient, but also make it very safe. Fantastic. So like all good things, unfortunately, this episode has to come to an end. Before I close it out, I'd like you to share some final words with our listeners. Okay, Dave. Well, I think as we were just talking about, you know, we in the industry standards making process, we don't need to think of this just as a dark art that we should only let the vendors handle that because it's so complex and so detailed. There's definitely a role for us in the enterprise, whether that's, you know, corporation, government agency, department, you know, higher ed institution. You know, we can all become involved in these processes and have our viewpoints heard and represented. And there's also, you know, potential career path for you in this realm. Uh, because even if you're an implementer of some software that uses a standard like SAML or OpenID Connect, as we mentioned, there's great value to you and your career to specialize in this area because they are potentially so technical, but also so important to the business. So I think that's um, also an interesting possibility to consider. Yes, these standards are happening Sometimes it's happening behind the scenes and I'm not directly interacting with it, but it's it actually, it's another career path opportunity for folks to consider, you know, especially maybe some of those students that uh, you see coming through your classrooms. Yeah, that is indeed valuable. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. This was wonderful and it's been a pleasure to have this discussion with you. I've enjoyed it as well, Dave. Thanks so much for asking me. A special thanks to Jerry Gable for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. 
The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization. 